Would you stand with me at this time? Matthew chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. Reading from the New King James Version, the Bible says, But he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of God's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. This morning with your prayers and with the help of the Holy Spirit, let's talk about modern day eunuchs. Let's pray. Father, thank you for not only sending us Jesus, the eternal word, but thank you for leaving us the Bible, your written word. Thank you that you desire for us to have knowledge and wisdom and understanding on how we are to live in this world as your followers, as your children. Lord, I pray that the word might get in us so that the word might live through us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, because we cannot do it in our own strength. Show us Jesus today and give us a desire to not only hear the word, but to apply the things that we hear because it's not easy. But I thank you that with you, it is possible. Touch each heart, especially those, Lord, who need to hear this message today. And Lord, if it isn't exactly what we need to hear, may we listen attentively because you might use us to minister this word to someone else. We thank you today and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. Now, I don't know how you're feeling, but I'm, is it right? I'm blessed. I don't know how you're feeling, but I'm blessed. Got this at a Charlie Wilson concert. Somebody said amen. Ask me how I'm doing. I'm blessed. Blessed. Anyway, anyway, anyway. All right. All right, Pastor. Stay in what you do best and teach. Lasagna, stop amening. Amen. Well, this series uh, is one that God put on my heart quite some time ago, as I've shared with you. This is our fourth week in what we're calling the Sexual Healing Series. The Sexual Healing Series. You know, the church can talk about a whole lot of things, but we don't always talk about these kinds of things. But if it's in the Word, then we need to talk about it. And the Bible talks a lot about our need to be healed, especially as it pertains to sex and sexuality. And the subtitle of this series is Walking with Jesus Through Struggles, Questions, and Temptations. Because we all have struggles. We all have questions and we all have temptations. And if there ever was a group of people who needed to hear a word today, uh, about struggle, questions, and temptations. It's people who are unmarried, people who are single. Um, whether you are divorced, a widow, a widower, or you're just unmarried, you're, you're single. You need a word today because, man, there are many struggles that single people go through. And I know I won't get a lot of amens today because you don't want anybody to think that you're struggling. But if you can't say amen, you can say amen. <laughs> One thing we won't do is act like we're holier than thou. One thing we won't do is act like we're super spiritual because we're really setting ourselves up for a fall. But unmarried people have struggles. Unmarried people see other people who are married 
go home with that person. And sometimes they struggle and say, Lord, when is that going to happen in my life? When am I going to have someone special? They have questions. And that question may be, Lord, uh, is there something wrong with me? How come I'm not married yet? Because people in the church put a lot of pressure on me. Every time they see me, I don't even like to come around. They, are you dating? Are you seeing anyone? It's like, oh, boy. And, oh, boy. Now, 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 now I got to say this to you. I got to pause because sometimes being single and being married, it's like flies on a screen door. It's like flies on a screen door. You have flies on a screen door inside of the house dying to get outside. Then you got flies on the outside of the house dying to get in. And we got folks dying to get into marriage. And then you got some folk dying to get out of marriage. <laughs> Which is why Paul would say later in 1 Corinthians 7 about being content in the state that God has you in. Whether that state is being single or that state is being divorced or married, be content in the state you're in. And somebody said, I've been in this state long enough. I want to go to another state. Take me to Alabama. I, I, get me out of this state that I'm in. <laughs> but it's real. We don't have to wear masks here in the church. We can admit who we are, even in our brokenness, in our questions, or even in our rejoicing. That some of us are rejoicing over the fact that we're not married. And that's great. So today, I just want to walk through a passage of Scripture that I hope will encourage those of us in the body who are unmarried, those of us in the body who do not have a mate. I want to encourage you today uh, because I believe that if we can get a word from God that will help change our perspective, a change of perspective can help change the trajectory of our lives. A change of perspective can change our lives. And so we don't want you to think that, man, if I'm single, that is a terrible state to be in. No, I'm going to try to prove two things today. That being single is a gift from God. Somebody said, I don't want that gift, Lord, take it back. No, being single <laughs> is a gift from God. Being single. It's not a curse to be single. But secondly, we're going to see today that Living a life, here it is, of celibacy is possible with the help of God. Is anybody praying for me? Uh, I'm praying for you. <laughs> Living a life of celibacy, of not partaking in sexual relations, it is possible for a believer with the help of God, of course. Well, pastor, okay, hurry up and turn to the scripture before you lose me anymore. Matthew chapter 19, we'll begin in verse 1, okay? Now, it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings. Well, we connect chapter 19, verse 1, with what occurred in chapter 18. Last part of chapter 18, he's preaching and teaching about forgiveness, and how we ought to forgive people their debts as God has forgiven us freely of our debts. How often should we forgive someone 70 times 7? And so Jesus tells this parable of a man who was forgiven a great debt. And then he goes out and he chokes someone who owes him a small debt. And so he's preaching and teaching to his disciples about forgiveness. And the last verse of Matthew 18 says, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. In other words, you'll be locked up. You'll be locked up if you do not forgive. If you forgive, you will be set free. Very practical, but sometimes hard to do, which we can't do in our own strength. And so after he had finished these sayings, teaching about forgiveness, watch this now, that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. Isn't it good to know that Jesus is a healer? Verse 3, the Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Okay, what's going on here? 
A revival is breaking out. People are getting healed, man. People are getting touched by God's mercy, by his love. People are coming in afflicted or leaving out well and healed. And here come the party poopers. Here come the Pharisees. And they're coming to test our Lord. And they're doing it by asking a question. They don't want to know his answer to the question No, they're testing him in hopes that his answer will put him in a compromising situation where the people who are loving him will turn on him. So they're testing him with this question. Because as they ask the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? You know, whenever you have a conversation about divorce, it's never an easy conversation. But in that day and time, there were two main schools of thought led by two rabbis of the day, one named Hillel and the other named Shammai. And these two rabbis had polar extreme opposite views about divorce and marriage. The rabbi Shammai believed and taught his disciples that there was no grounds or reason whatsoever for a man to divorce his wife under any circumstances. So his view was very strict. And then Hillel was on the other polar end where he believed you could divorce your wife for any and every reason. If she burned breakfast, you could write her a certificate of divorce according to his school of thought. And so as they're coming to Jesus, they're trying to find out which extreme does he identify with? Is he with Shammai or is he with Hillel? Is he with divorce for no reason or divorce for any reason? But how many know you can't stump the master? You you, you can't trick the Lord. (laughs) So they come to him with a question. And Jesus says in verse four, he answered and said to them, have you not read? Stop, pause, boom. For us as followers of Jesus, what is written is the authority of our lives as God speaks And what God has spoken through apostles and prophets as recorded in the word of God is the authority and the instruction for our lives. More so than what we think or what we feel or what rabbi so-and-so or even pastor so-and-so said, have you not read? So Jesus is taking them back to the divine standard, which was objective and not subjective. Objective truth is true whether you like it or don't like it. Subjective truth changes to fit whether you like it or don't like it. So he's taking them to the objective standard that does not change God's word. And he says, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning? So Jesus is going back to the book of Genesis, which means that he believes in the book of Genesis, that Moses wrote Genesis. Moses was inspired by the spirit. He goes back to Genesis. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? The binary of male and female, the ideal as we've spoken about before, as far as human sexuality and gender is concerned. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Wait a minute, Jesus. We came to you with a question about divorce. And here you are answering the question on divorce by promoting marriage. Usually when people come to me and say, man, I think we're done. We want a divorce. I'm trying to take them back to the beginning, not only of the word, but of when they met and why they got married. I'm trying to take them back to the beginning of the word, take them back. I want to talk about marriage. I don't want to talk about divorce if you come to me talking about divorce. Pastor Jerry doesn't want to talk to you about divorce. You're not going to use us to try to get out of your marriage and say, well, pastor said. Now, we're trying to hold your feet to the fire and encourage you to keep them vows that you made. Because worse has come. Poorer has come. Sickness has come. But will them vows hold up? Because what Jesus is doing here, he's talking about not only the ideal of marriage, but in a minute, the permanency of marriage. Oh boy. This didn't make Jesus a popular rabbi. Look at verse seven. Then they said to him, why then did Moses 
command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away. So they're like, okay, Lord, you want to talk about what's written? Well, in Deuteronomy 24, Moses gave divorce to folks. Ah, how you like them apples, Jesus? Well, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. Stop, stop, stop. You're in this predicament because your hearts are hard. Because when you got married, your hearts were soft. They were tender before God and one another. But over time, the heart developed hardness. And that's why it's important to connect forgiveness in chapter 18 with marital turmoil in chapter 19. Because a lot of the stuff we go through in our marriages is because we don't forgive as we've been forgiven. And to forgive someone is to release them from the punishment, to release them from the penalty, to release them from wanting to take vengeance in your own hands. Because if you don't release them, you lock yourself up. Oh boy, so God put you in a marriage with someone who is opposite from you so that you can grow in what it means to forgive as he's forgiven and to love as he loves, which is why we need the help of the Lord, which is why a three-strung cord is not easily broken. Ecclesiastes 4. One cord is the husband, one cord is the wife, and the third cord is the Lord. And as we wrap around the Lord, we wrap around each other and we become inseparable. But usually when a marriage begins to go awry, somebody not wrapping around Jesus. Somebody's not close with the Lord. There are times God will tell me after my wife and I have had some intense fellowship. He'll say, man, what, 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 what you talking to me for? Get up and go in there and apologize to your wife. Woo, humble yourself. Eat the humble pie. Because if you don't eat it while it's fresh, it's harder to swallow it when it gets drier. So keep a short record of wrongs. Matter of fact, keep no record of wrongs. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath if you can help. Man, because when my wife and I are flowing, it's heaven on earth. But when we out of joints, it's hell on earth, I tell you. And I don't want to live in hell. I don't want to live in hell. And I got to forgive. My God. So Jesus said, it's the hardness of your heart. And Moses is out there with two million people in the hot desert. They coming up on him talking about, we having problems, we having problems, we having problems. He was like, look, get out of my face. Here, here, here's a certificate for you, here's a certificate for you, here's a certificate for you. Go ahead. So watch the words, though. Moses didn't command it. He permitted it. He permitted it. So they're not going to trip Jesus here. And so Jesus says in verse 9, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, y'all want to know where I stand? Here it is except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Uh-oh. You ask the question. Here's the answer. So what he's saying here is that if there has been sexual immorality, this is an exception clause. For someone to get out of a covenant uh, uh, where they make before God and one another, a covenant, a binding agreement, God says if the covenant is violated because of sexual immorality, the Greek word is porneia, which speaks of illicit sexual activity. Of course, this is adultery, among other things. That Jesus says because of that, you can get out. Now, let me stick a pin in it right here. If we practice forgiveness and forgiveness 70 times 7 and forgiven as the Lord forgives us, then we can forgive immorality in a marriage. We can forgive adultery in a marriage because just because it happens doesn't mean you should go to the door to escape the marriage. And I believe what he's saying here, this is a repetitive, ongoing lifestyle of unfaithfulness to the marital covenant. And so there are people looking for an exception. You're trying to get out. Like when you get on an airplane and they say, here are the exits, one over the wing, one in the rear. You get in a marriage and it starts, you start struggling, where the exits? How, how do I get out? But I got to tell you, though, if you jump at 40,000 feet, I hope you got a parachute. A lot of times we want to get out the marriage and we don't realize that that fall is rougher than staying in there with the turbulence. So you come to me and Pastor Jerry and the elders we're not looking for an easy way for you to get out. We're looking for the reasons for you to stay in. 
because Jesus is talking about the permanency of marriage. Because he goes on to say that if you marry another, outside of this exception clause, you're committing adultery. And whoever marries her who gets out of a marriage without the exception clause is committing adultery. Pastor, why is Jesus saying that a divorced person is committing adultery if they marry someone else? If you try to get out of a marriage without God's uh, approval, because when I stand up, I'm binding the two together. But if the church looses a couple, says, you know what, after we've listened to your situation, you are free to go and you're loosed. But you got people, though, they're going to do their own thing. And they're getting divorced over irreconcilable differences, which are not biblical. Y'all praying, right? And if you marry somebody else, the judge downtown says you're married, but the judge uptown says you're committing divorce, uh, adultery. Why? Because the judge uptown still sees you as married to the first person. No matter what piece of paper or lawyer or judge says, God says you're still married because you try to get out of something that I joined without my blessing and approval. So you go in and marry someone else, but you're committing or living in adultery. We don't hear this no more, do we? We don't hear this no more. I remember a couple came to our church many, many years ago, and I was teaching on something like this. And they came up to me after church saying, if we had been going to your church, we would have never gotten divorced from our previous spouses, and we never would have gotten remarried to one another. Because of this truth from the word of God. Jesus is lifting up this, not only the ideal, but the permanency of marriage. This is not the hokey pokey where you put your foot in and take your foot out. You, 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 <laughs> count the cost. And so now listen, listen, listen now. The disciples heard this in verse 10. If such is the case, that the only reason I can get out of a marriage is if there is sexual immorality, and if I marry someone that's divorced or whatever, I'm committing adultery. They said, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Them dudes said, look, we, we don't even need to get married. Somebody might be like, I, I understand where them brothers are. <laughs> well, verse 11, here it is. But he said to them, all cannot accept this saying of not getting married. Everybody can't accept that. There are people who want to get married. And let me, let me pause here. There's grace for anyone who sinned and did things in a way that does not honor God in a second or third marriage. There's grace for you. God's permissive will is still good. He can still hit a bullseye with a crooked stick, with crooked people, with broken people, which happens to be all of us. But the standard is still the standard. And we need to maintain that. And so Jesus says, all cannot accept the saying, but only those to whom it has been given. That singleness is given to people by God. People that don't want to get married, this is given to them by God. Everybody can accept this, except to those to whom it has been given to not get married. Verse 12, for there are eunuchs who are born thus from their mother's womb. So he's talking to his disciples, we can assume from the illustration of men that he's talking to, the 12. And he says that there are eunuchs who are born this way. So he's introducing this term into this teaching as an illustration. A eunuch at that time was a man who did not have male genitalia. Okay? Okay. Man, how many churches in Tennessee are using that word this morning? Uh, help us, Lord. Uh, so a eunuch did not have male genitalia. And Jesus is going to break down three ways that that occurs. And again, this is some figurative speech. Because there were people who, when they heard some of the words of Jesus in this, they took it literally. So let's see if I can remember that point when I get there. Verse 12, for there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. So there are men, males, who are born without male genitalia. Okay? And um, 
And so because we're beautiful, we're made in the image of God, but we're broken because sin is in us and we live in a fallen world that's sinful, we are born sinners. We are born with various ailments. We are born with various things going on in our bodies, in our minds, in our souls because of this thing called sin, which is a a big theological word speaks of uh, that we are degenerate, that we are people who are lost. And so as a result, people are born with various maladies and ailments, physical limitations, including being born um, as eunuchs. And so Jesus said that happens. Now, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 11, when God is talking to Moses and Moses is giving God excuses, saying, I can't be a preacher because I I stutter. And God said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? So we may think that God made a mistake with how he made us. But God is saying, I didn't make any mistakes. I made you this way. Deaf, blind, mute, or you are a eunuch at birth or whatever other maladies that we may be born with. God is saying, yes, I made you that way. I made no mistakes. And I'm going to get glory from your life in spite of the things that are coming against you physically. I'm going to get glory from a stutterer going in to speak to Pharaoh. Because in your weakness, that's when my strength is made perfect. And God has blessed some of us with trouble. And I think he blessed us with this because he knew we could handle it. And he knew we would steward it well and reflect glory, honor, and dependence on God so as to help other people who are going through similar challenges. But God made people that way. But then Jesus said in the next verse, not only are folks born that way, he said there are eunuchs who have made themselves, excuse me, let me go back up, let me go back up. He says uh, uh, there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, by men. So this speaks of men who allow themselves to be castrated. And a lot of times in that day and time, in order to get a good government job, it might require you making a sacrifice. And if a man was castrated, we see it in the book of Esther, uh, we see it in the book of 2 Kings, where these eunuchs were working many times around women. They were in the court of the women. And so they would be castrated so as not to engage and indulge in relations with the women that they were there to serve and or protect. So the king had them castrated so they wouldn't be uh, a threat to the women or what have you. And so there were people who were made that way by men. Let me stop and put a pause right here that eunuchs, men who have been castrated, are not a modern-day equivalent for men who are transsexual. Because there are people who read the scriptures and they see eunuchs, men who have been castrated, and they say, see, see, the Bible is talking about transsexual, where men can be castrated and they can become women. I don't believe that's what the Bible is saying. And if you feel that I'm off, please help me out and show me some passages But I'll show you some passages to prove that a eunuch is not an equivalent to a modern-day transsexual. Because in the Bible and in days of antiquity, eunuchs did not stop becoming men when they became eunuchs. They didn't stop becoming men. They remained men even though their genitalia were removed. They remained men. They didn't get castrated and then become women. No, they remain men. Acts chapter 8, verse 27 and 28. Let let me read this to you. Acts chapter 8. This is the Ethiopian eunuch, the brother from Africa, a Cushite. Check it out here. The Bible says in verse 27 of Acts 8, So he arose and went, speaking of Philip, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. So he's a eunuch, and he's still a what? 
a man. A man of Ethiopia, a eunuch. So although, because men need to grow past thinking that manhood is found between their legs. That may make you a male, but doesn't make you a man. I put that in for free. Uh, let me keep going. And 13 times in this passage in Acts 8, the Ethiopian is referred to in the masculine. Masculine pronouns are used of him 13 times. So a man is a man, even if he has been castrated, whether he was born that way or he became that way by men. But then here's where I want to, to, to rest. At the end of verse 12, Jesus says, the third way that a man is a eunuch is that they make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. They're not born that way. They don't become that way at the hands of other men. But no, they choose to become that for the kingdom of heaven's sake. There are men who will choose not to get married for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Which is why he's going to say, he who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Because everyone can accept that. Jesus is saying that, man, there are some men who will choose not to get married because they want to be more effective ministers in the kingdom of God. If you can accept it, accept it. So he's talking to the disciples saying, you weren't born a eunuch, no one made you a eunuch, but you can become one figuratively or spiritually, if you will, if you make a commitment to live single for the rest of your life, which also accompanies with that celibacy. And that's why he said, if you can accept it, accept it, because everybody wasn't trying to accept that. There's just some things people can't accept unless they're born again. You know how Jesus said, uh, you can't enter the kingdom unless you're born again. You can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. There's some stuff you can't see if you're not born again. You can't even imagine that. But when God gets a hold of a man or a woman's heart, there are some things that they can see that maybe they thought they could not see or imagine in the past. So there are modern day eunuchs. Now, Peter was married. Of the 12 disciples, we know that Peter was married. And others of them were single. We don't know if any of the other ones were married, but we know Peter was married, but the other ones were probably single. So when Jesus is talking to them, he's talking to them saying, look, if God gives you this, you can accept it. You can do it. But if you get married, realize that you just can't jump in and out of marriage following Hillel, you know, because you want to. There's a standard here of permanency that's expected till death do you part. Just can't get out. And so there was some like, okay, Lord. Now, there was a guy named Origen, one of the early church fathers, an African brother, who when he read this, he took it literal as a young man, as a teenager, and he castrated himself. Mm. And then later, as he grew spiritually, Realized that Jesus wasn't being literal here. He was being figurative. But it was too late for the brother at that time. Uh, 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 so please be careful. <laughs> trying to do this stuff literally. So if you're not married and you follow Jesus, I want to encourage you. God gave you the gift of singleness. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians in a minute. You have a gift and it's called singleness. And with that gift of singleness, there's a call to celibacy. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Some of us are called to be single. Some of us are called to be single. Jeremiah the prophet was called to be single. God told Jeremiah, don't take a wife. Um, John the Baptist was called to be single. He didn't have a wife. Jesus did not have a wife. And the guy who's writing what we're about to read did not have a wife. So we got to come against the false notion that unless a man has a wife, he doesn't really have a life. Huh. A little quiet. Uh, verse one. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, 
It is good for a man not to touch a woman. That's speaking of touching in a sexual manner. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Verse 6, but I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself. And what is that, Paul? Single. But each one has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. So being single is a gift. Being married is a gift. When's the last time you thought of being single as a gift and not a curse? When's the last time you thought of being married as a gift and not a cuss word? (laughs) Perspective. It's a gift. Because we don't have to receive anything. But he graciously gives us what we need. And he calls some of us to the gift, the calling of being single. Verse 8, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. Remain single. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. There's nothing more sad than seeing a single Christian fornicating with people in the church. Jumping from bed to bed. You need to marry somebody. If your drawers are on... So much smoke. Every time I see you, it's just smoke. But you got to be careful. Because you get up in marriage thinking that every time you have a desire and, you know, hey. Which is why it's important to practice abstinence. It shouldn't even be something Christians pray about. It's the will of God if you're not married. Second Thessalonians talks about knowing how to control and handle our vessels in sanctification, holiness, and honor. We're supposed to be. But if we're jumping around showing that we don't have self-control, then that fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, called self-control, is not working in our lives. We're inconsistent, man. We, we, need, we need to walk the way God's called us to walk. So if you're not married, God gave you the gift of singleness and the call to celibacy. And then over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32 and 33. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world and how he may please his wife. In other words, when you're single, you ought to be able to have more of a rambunctious freedom and desire to serve God without anything restricting you and holding you back. Because you don't have to check in with a husband or a wife. Can I go serve? Can I go feed? Can I go evangelize? Can I? No, I need you home tonight. So what he's saying is that when you're single, when you're unmarried, you have this undying commitment to the Lord to serve him whenever and however he calls you to. But it has to be given to you. There are people who are content in their singleness because they're excited about how they get to serve God. Because some of us don't do stuff at the church. Well, man, my wife said I can't come out tonight. Uh, I need to be home with my husband. He ain't even home. I need to be home with my husband. (laughs) We'll never see you working a servant. You use being married as an excuse to not serve in the kingdom of God. And it's a shame when you're single and you don't serve in the kingdom of God. Christian widows, widowers, divorcees, and singles are to be celibate. Pastor, I got a question. What about engaged couples? We're going to get married, Pastor. The the key word is going to. Because you might not. And until you say, I do, that is not your husband, that is not your wife. You are trespassing on territory that does not belong to you. So hands off and everything else off until you get married. You may say, man, you ain't living in a real world. 
Pastor, I like funification. I mean fornication. It's fun. Funification. Minister Cleon Harrison gave me that term. Funification. You trying to tell us to stay away from stuff that's natural and that feel good. Yeah, it's natural and it feel good, but you got to do it God's way if you call yourself his disciple. Because if he tells you not to do something, he's really trying to protect you. Because if you can't exercise self-control before you get married, who's to say you're going to have self-control once you do get married? Oh, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, that's good, man. that's good. Because if you stay in funification, you're going to move to mummification. You're going to die. <laughs> Stuff in you going to die. Because in the back of your mind, we engaged, but she couldn't be committed to God and me to do the right thing without a ring. Man, I don't know if she's going to do the right thing without a ring. So whenever she talked to pastor, I'm looking, making sure that, you know, I don't trust her. We can do this. Man, it's not possible. To you, it's not, but with God, it is possible. One of my mentors, Dr. Tony Evans, who's married to his wife Lois for over three decades, maybe four decades, she passed two years ago. He is now a widower and single again. He is not dating anyone. He is not having sex with anyone. But wouldn't it be embarrassing if the pastor of your church who's single is going around sleeping with everybody? No, you got to have discipline and self-control. You got to live upright and moral. Why? Because we follow Jesus. Now, if you don't follow Jesus, do whatever the heck you want to do. I said heck. <laughs> but we follow Jesus. And he has a better plan for our lives than we do. Hebrews 11.25 says that the pleasures of sin, yeah, it's fun, but it only lasts a season. But the eternal consequences are out of this world. Funification, yeah, uh-huh. Three things the world must repent of. The world has to repent of idolizing sex. The world makes too much out of sex. Everyone gets objectified today. The world has to repent of redefining the nuclear family. Male and female, mother, father, children, the nuclear family. The world keeps trying to re redefine that. And the world needs to repent of discouraging marriage. When I see young people get married today, I'm excited. Because a lot of times young people don't get married. People are turning away from marriage. Well, the world has to repent, but the church needs to repent also of idolizing marriage. The church is so idolized marriage that it's like you need to get saved and get married. Like it, they just put them on the same plane. You ain't married yet? How come you're not married? You're not married. You didn't get remarried. You know? I don't even want to come to church because I know that's what y'all going to be talking about. Church needs to repent of idolizing the nuclear family. As if every family is going to have a husband and a wife, a mother and a father. There are single parent homes. Uh, 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 so we, we don't idolize the nuclear family. Yeah, it's good, but that's not the only family there is. And then the church needs to re repent of deriding singlehood. Put down being single. Put down being single. No, Jesus says it's a blessing to be single. Paul says it's a blessing to be single. It's not a curse. It's a gift. It's a blessing. You can serve God. You're free. It's a gift. Well, let's close with what Jesus said. In verse 12, he says, uh, He who is able to accept it by being single, let him accept it. Let him accept it. Stop complaining about it. Girl, I still don't have a man. Stop complaining about it. Stop wasting time talking about who you don't have, what you don't have. And realize again that life is not found in whether or not you get married or not. Life is found in living for Jesus and serving Jesus. And he might interrupt you while you're serving him with a husband or a wife. But again, that shouldn't be the end all be all. And if you're single, you can be celibate. My wife and I dated for four years before we got married. A year before that, I began to walk in purity. I did some stupid stuff my freshman year, repented, got my life in order with the Lord, walked with him in holiness. 
Not perfection, but holiness. Then I met Darina. We started dating. So five years, celibate. And um, uh, I didn't die. I didn't pass out. I didn't throw up. Uh, I didn't lose my mind. Got married. And when you get married, there are times you got to pull back out those superpowers of celibacy in marriage. I better stop right now. I'm out of time. But there are times in marriage you got to exercise self-control because you're not always able to have sexual relations. And if my wife should go and meet Jesus before I do, and Pastor Chris is now a widower, you can best believe Pastor Chris, by the grace of God and the help of God, will remain sexually pure. Whether or not I get married, you don't have to worry about your pastor jumping around from bed to bed. But can the pastor be concerned with you jumping around from bed to bed and you're not married? Celibacy, I know it's old-fashioned, but it's the book. It's right. And if you want to show me something different, please show me. But I'll take you to 2 Thessalonians 4. I'll take you to 1 Corinthians 6. God is trying to protect us. Being single is a gift. It's possible to walk in celibacy. You may be a modern-day eunuch, male or female, figurative language. It's a gift, and it's good. Would you stand with me to pray? As Mike comes to play, as I pray here, permit me to be so bold. As to ask all unmarried people, 18 years and older, all unmarried people, divorced, widow, widower, single, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? If you're single, unmarried, divorced, and you say, Pastor, yeah, you can pray for me. Can you raise your hand so I can see it? Keep your hand up. I need to see the hand so I know how to pray for you. Yeah, Pastor, would you pray with me, man? Because it's not easy out here, Pastor. You put your hands down. Father God, thank you for this call to purity and holiness. Thank you for this call to contentment. Thank you for walking with us through our struggles. That you never leave us. You never forsake us. You don't condemn us. You lovingly convict us. and You teach and whisper the truth to us. You want us to be built up in our holy faith. You want us to be examples to the world and even in the church. But God, it gets tough sometimes but I thank you Lord that you are always here to give us new mercies with every new day that you make and we're alive for a reason with the living there is hope God I pray that you would help those who are unmarried under the sound of my voice and those who may be watching online to see their state as a gift. For you, Lord God, to rewire their thinking and to see that you make no mistakes where you place people for such a time as this because all we have is this day. We can plan for tomorrow, but God, all we have is this day. And if we are single, we say thank you for the gift. We thank you for the call to be pure. Thank you for how you forgive us and cleanse us. Lord, I believe some of us are tired of falling. We fall, we fall, we fall, we cry, we fall. Lord, help us to say enough is enough. I repent. I need some accountability. I need help. Lord, I want to live for you the way you've called me to live. 
And for those who are single, show them their ministries. Show them, Lord God, who they can serve and where they can serve and what they can do for the kingdom's sake. Lord, I pray that you would do a new thing and a new work and a new mind, a new perspective, a new approach. Thank you that we can come to church, Lord God, and hear a word that does surgery to our soul. And at the same time, Lord, it makes us feel good because we know that you love us enough to help grow us. You will never leave us the same. And for those of us who are married, Lord, forgive us for looking for escape routes. Every time something comes that, that troubles the marriage, we're trying to get out. We're talking more about divorce than why we got married and why we should stay married. Forgive us, God, and heal us. Soften our hardened hearts. Help us to practice forgiveness. Help us to love the way you've called us to love. Help us, Lord, to experience the honey in the honeymoon again. You can do it. We just have to be willing. You're able, but are we willing? So here we are. You're a good, good father. Now unto him who is able, who is able, I'm not. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that's working in us, working in us, oh God, power from on high. Be glory, majesty, dominion in the church, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Can you muster a hand praise for God? Come on. Ah. Well, as you go, have a blessed day. I'll be up front. If you want to meet Jesus, I'll pray with you. If you want to get baptized, we'll talk to you. If you want to join the church, come talk to me. Have a blessed day. And Araya is getting pizza this evening. Amen. Have a blessed day, everybody.